today on Real Life Radio. And they came to him and they tried to keep him from leaving. I love that. Stay, Jesus, stay here. I love their heart. Don't go anywhere. We want you here. Why? Because he had brought heaven down among people and they loved it. You want heaven? It comes through Jesus. Welcome to Real Life Radio with Pastor Jack Hibbs. I'm David J. thanking you for joining us today as we listen, learn, and are challenged by God's Word, the Bible. On today's edition of Real Life Radio, Pastor Jack now continues his series called The Gospel of Luke with a message called When Jesus Comes Near. Now, this series on the Gospel of Luke is a series that gives us both the humanity and the divinity of Jesus Christ as only Luke, the physician, could see it. Here, as we continue in chapter 4, we'll discover that Jesus is a prophecy fulfilled and the hope for our salvation. You see, it was true then, as it's true now, that the very person and work of Jesus causes people to get excited. But that excitement can either be a positive thing or a negative thing. Many had heard Jesus teach and had seen his miracles. Some were skeptical, but others truly were never the same. So today on this part of the message, Pastor Jack goes on to say that if Jesus were to come near us, he'll respond to our needs personally. But how would we treat him? What would he hear from us? Or deeper still, what would he find hidden within us? Now in his message called, When Jesus Comes Near, here's pastor and Bible teacher, Jack Hibbs. It's encouraging to me that in this very gathering, now I don't want to wig you out, but listen, it was in the synagogue. It wasn't in some, you know, bar someplace. It was in the synagogue, not some porno shop. It was in the synagogue that this demon responded. Those other places you can count on weirdness happening. But in a place of worship, what was going on? When Jesus came in, he's so righteous, he's so precious, he's so dedicated to the Lord, he's so committed to preaching the kingdom of God, that, listen, his light, the very presence of Christ, drew the evil out. It had to be dealt with. Whenever you read your Bible, Old Testament to New, when God begins to move into a region of life or a place where it's given over to paganism, what happens? The evil is expelled, isn't it? Darkness has to flee. Darkness has to leave. You know what convicted me about this? They said, let us alone. Move on. Jesus, move on from here. We live here. Go out of here. Wow. You might say, you know what? How come we don't see that stuff today anymore? We do see this stuff. Where have you been? You see, you say, I, don't, I doubt it. Well, listen, I just said a moment ago that Jesus was so committed and so devoted to preaching the kingdom of God. Talk to our missionaries in China. Talk to our missionaries in South America. You know what they encounter? People who are possessed. When we meet with some people here in counseling, I need to bring in my husband or my son or my daughter, whatever it is, things happen. I remember we were called to a house one time. Jim, interesting things happened. Have you ever seen somebody, their eyes roll in the back of their head? And instead of turning white, because you know that's what your eyeballs are white when they roll back, they turn stone black. Let me tell you something. When that happens, you better know your Bible. (laughs) 
This demonic realm is real. And Jesus knew it, and Jesus attests to it, but here's the part that convicts me. One side encourages me, and one side terribly convicts me. I just wonder, if this man was in the synagogue prior to Jesus showing up, this demon must have been comfortable there. Where? In synagogue. Let's say in church. The demon was fine to be in this man in church. Why? Why? How? Why? Because there was no presence of Jesus Christ previously there. What about today? We have the Holy Spirit that dwells within the believer. We can't be possessed. We can be attacked and oppressed and depressed, but we can't be possessed. But what about those that are around us? The Holy Spirit's in us. But wait, is the word of God being preached and taught in such a way like Jesus did? Is the Holy Spirit present in such a way that would drive out darkness? We live in a day and age when it's kind of cool to go to church. We can learn 12 steps on how to become financially successful or to be healthy or to be wiser or to be cuter. We're going to go to our church. It's going to be great. We're going to hear all about last week's picnic and potluck. Hey, sweet and fine. But listen, it's the word of God under the power of the Holy Spirit through a usable vessel that begins to shake things up. And I'm talking in the spirit realm. I'm not talking about a political coup. I'm talking about a spiritual revolution. If you are so committed to Christ, you're going to see things happen. God is not going to allow you to see something to freak you out and you're not committed to the Lord. I, I promise me, you would absolutely not be happy. You'd be terrified. But listen to the reports of our missionaries and to those who are in dark places. The sad thing about this is, is my opinion, this is my opinion, the church in the 21st century in the Western world seems to be more fixated on bigger buildings, on bigger budgets, and all that stuff to get people into the building. And the world will do anything. The world will step, or the church, I should say, will do anything for the world now. It will step away from its divine calling. And instead of standing out so beautiful and so pure and so holy and devoted to God, that the church begins to have little sermonettes for Christianettes. The church begins to have all these things and no Bible. You don't need to bring a Bible. It makes people uncomfortable. A famous Christian leader announced recently. You don't need that. Makes, makes the visitor uncomfortable. Don't teach the Bible. Don't do Bible study because it makes people uncomfortable. It makes people to be offended. And the Bible says that the preaching of the gospel is an offense I think the reason why there's not much manifestation in a spiritual setting is because I wonder how much of it is just pretend. We're not wholly devoted, we're not wholly committed, and that a demon-possessed person might not see any challenge to the sleepy carnality of the modern-day church. More concerned about making money or building this or building that instead of preaching the word. We need to take our cue from Jesus. And Jesus taught verse by verse, and he was a wholly devoted tool. In 2 Peter 3, 5, the Bible warns us in the last days, 2 Peter 3, 5, that there will be those who will have the form of godliness but deny its power from such people turn away. But what if a church is like that? My, you know, my mind thinks differently and odd about things. I saw this kind of lived out in a funeral I did. This man had died unexpectedly. The man, was, the man had died. 
services being held, forest lawn, and the, one of the family members overcome with grief. And I couldn't figure out if that person was trying to get him out of the coffin or they were trying to get in. It was so awkward looking. And you say, what was going on? I don't know what was going on, except grief will do that to you. Emotional, being overcome emotionally will do that to you. Was the person trying to get into the coffin with the deceased or trying to get, couldn't cope with it and tried to get the deceased out of the coffin? It was a heartbreaking moment. And when I was putting this message together, that remembrance came to my mind. This guy was lined in velvet, looked completely normal. He should have gotten up by all appearances. He was dressed beautifully. Get up! He can't get up. There's no life inside. There's no spirit. And God forbid the day that this church, beautiful on the outside, beautiful, my goodness, wins an award from the city for being such a beautiful facility. Who cares? If the Spirit of God is not at home here, it's dead. And we'll be like one either dead on the inside or trying to wake it up. It's futile. Unless the Spirit of God has the Bible to grab onto to use, we will be able to do what God wants us to do. We'll be fine. But the moment we begin to get away from the Bible is the death nails to this work. And Jesus is teaching and preaching, not himself, not anything else. He's not talking about this or that. He's giving them the word of God and he's teaching them didasco, verse by verse. Very, very important. Listen, verse 35, he exposed the darkness by his very authority. No need to spend time on this, it's obvious. Jesus rebuked the demon. He said, be quiet. The word in Greek is fantastic. He didn't say be quiet. Doesn't that sound nice? It's King James. Be quiet. Here's this demon guy. Ah! We know who you are. Ah! Jesus didn't go, be quiet. Jesus shouted. The word in Greek is be muzzled. So what you, a muzzle, like a rabid dog. Be muzzled. Don't you, don't you want to hear Jesus say that? He might be teaching and so God and this guy starts yapping off over there. Right in the middle. Be muzzled. Ooh, I want to see that. You know? I mean, I don't want to do it. I want Jesus to do it. And immediately, look what happens. Come out of him is the command. And when the demon had thrown him in the midst, the demon came out of him. Which leads us to this. He exposes the darkness by his very word. Verses 36 and 37. Then they were all amazed and they spoke among themselves. I bet they did. And they said, what manner of teaching is this? We've never seen anything like this. This is outrageous. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And the report of them went out into every place in the surrounding regions. His word. Church, listen. What do you think we spend so much time in the word, in the Bible? This is your, this is your safety net. The word of God. This is your power. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 16. Jot it down. Read about the Christian for today being suited in the spiritual armor. And what, his, what is his only offensive weapon that he possessed? Everything else is defensive weapon except the word of God, the sword of the spirit. And by that, you attack in the spiritual realm against the host of darkness. Third point this morning is this. We need to hurry. I guess you're fine. I need to hurry. 
when Jesus comes near, verses 38 to 41, he responds to the needs in three different ways. Number one, personally, he responds to the need by meeting the physical demand of uh, Peter's mother-in-law. This is uh, Peter. It says in verse 38, now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. That's Simon Peter, the Peter we all know and love. Uh, But Peter's wife's mother, Peter's mother-in-law, was sick with a high fever. By the way, this word high fever is a fever that could kill you. But watch what happens. This is interesting. And they made request of Jesus concerning her. They, They asked him, will you do something about this? So he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she rose up to serve. The word rebuke here, you have a different word in English than from the previous verse. Same Greek word. Jesus rebuked. He muzzled the fever. It implies that there is a demonic power behind this particular fever. Interesting, huh? See, Jack, I think I have a fever. Am I possessed? No. (laughs) In this particular case, this demon had generated a fever that was uh, either trying to provoke the power of Christ or somehow overcome the power of Christ, but probably the demon, I'm just assuming, maybe had intentions to even kill this woman. Jesus, in fact, the other gospels tell us that Jesus leaned over her, then stooped down and took her by the hand and instantly... Her fever left her. And he used the word, be muzzle or get out of here. Interesting, huh? He meets the needs personally. By the way, is your soul feverish? Are you in a turmoil? Are you troubled by the things of this world? Is your life messed up? Are you hurting? Why don't you let Jesus take you by the hand? Don't panic. Let him hold your hand. Ask him. Do you know somebody who's in trouble? Why don't you entreat Jesus for them? Do you know somebody who doesn't know Jesus? Still on their way to hell? Ask God, Lord, save them. Peel back their eyes. Cause them to see. Lord, show them the direction they're going is a dead end. Help them, Lord. He not only responds personally, he responds publicly. Look at verse 40. They, look at all the people. They brought various diseases to him. And he laid his hands on how many of them? Every one of them. Isn't this great? Oh, I hope, I hope to upset some of you right now. Oh, I really do. He laid hands on every one of them. Do you read anything about here that they had enough faith to receive a healing from Jesus? Do you read anything about here that, that they believed in him and so they were healed? Do you read anything about here that, that they, they had the faith to receive a healing so thus they were healed? There's none of that here. We don't even know if they believed in him. But they came. And he healed them indiscriminately, one after another. You're healed. Knowing Jesus, I bet you he just didn't go, okay, go, go. Just run by me and I'll slap you. Go, go. Wait, wait, let me take my cloak off and spin it in the air. Huh? Oh, wait, I got to get Peter, James, and John to catch you when you fall. I could heal you, but you could fall down and get hurt. So they need to catch you. None of that's in the Bible. Does God heal? Absolutely. Have I seen him heal? Absolutely. By the way, whenever someone encounters God, they always fall on, in front of their face, on their face in worship. They never fall backwards. Did you know that? Never. Not once ever. They always fall in worship when the encounter is a good one, when it's the right one. Jesus heals them all indiscriminately. He doesn't ask for their story. Did you tithe this week? Okay, I'll heal you. 
Are you serving in the children's ministry? Okay, then I'll heal you. None of that. He just healed them. Wonderful. It's, one, it's, it's a verse like this that makes me ask people, what do you have against Jesus? Don't you fall in love with him when you read this stuff? What's your trip? I don't want Jesus. Why? Man, do you know if we had this in a bottle, people would be buying it? <laughs> and he responds infinitely. Infinitely. Look at verse 41. Demons also came out of people crying out, you are the Christ, the Son of God. That's all true. And he rebuked them, and he did not forbid them or did not allow them to speak, but forbid them that he was the Christ. Why is that? Because he didn't need the affirmation of the demonic realm whatsoever. In the ancient world, the people believed in possession. The spiritual realm still exists. That same realm still exists. And I wonder, our culture today is so smooth things out. So what do you mean? First of all, Jesus says it's real. That makes it real. But do you think, you think, you think there's a joke? You think there's a joke behind um, the Zodiac? The Bible says no in Deuteronomy 13 and 18. That there's demonic powers to the horoscope. Demonic powers. What about this palm reader? Isn't there's a joke? Oh, it's stupid. Well, to you, it's stupid. But there's demonic powers in those places. What about the Ouija board? You think it's a game? Ask Greg Laurie about drugs. Before he came to Christ, using drugs. You think drugs are just, just a little trip for a moment? They open you up to a demonic realm. Pharmacaea is the word. What about certain places and people that just... What about this guy on TV? You think this is a joke? The guy on TV, I forget his name, Edwards something. He's a channeler, John Edwards. He's a channeler. A channeler. The Bible referenced channel, channelers 5,000 years ago. That guy's for real. It's not a joke. This stuff, we, uh, you know what? Your mom says that this and your mom died on April 9th, 1492 or whatever. And the people start breaking down crying. You know what? It's real. A demon is really telling him this stuff. It's not a joke. God says stay away from it. But we play with it. Make it a game. Put Milton Bradley on it. And we laugh it off. It's real. Fourth and final point, we'll be done with this. Jesus, when he comes near, he never leaves people the same. Three ways. Number one, he brings heaven down among people. He brings heaven down among us. It says in verse 42, Now on his day he departed and went into the desert place, and a crowd sought him. And they came to him, and they tried to keep him from leaving. I love that. I have that marked. <laughs> Why? What's the big deal? Stay, Jesus. Stay here. I love their heart. Don't go anywhere. We want you here. Why? Because he had brought heaven down among people. And they loved it. Do you want heaven? It comes through Jesus. Not only that, but because he desires everyone to hear. He says to them, verse 43, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also because of this purpose I've come. This is the reason why I've been sent. I got to tell the world about what you've experienced. They had to be kind of like this. They had to be like this. We want you to stay, but we totally understand why you have to go. Isn't it beautiful, finally, especially after Nazareth, that people wanted him to stay in Capernaum? Will you stay here? 
I bet you if Jesus knocked on your door right now, you would say, can you stay here, please? Will you stay? Can you imagine if you were to open the door and he's standing there and whatever is about him, prostitutes, when they saw him, they gave up their ways. People who were embezzlers and tax collectors and fishermen and whatever they were, they gave up their normal life and they said, you know what? I'm with you. The man that Jesus freed in Gadara in the tombs will be going there on our Holy Land tour. He said, I will follow you anywhere. Jesus said, no, no, no. Go home and tell your friends what great things God has done for you today. If you saw Jesus, if you've encountered Jesus, you would say, stay here. And I end with this. Every Christian I know who has given their life to God, that is our passion that wakes us every morning. It is the reason why we do anything that we do. Oh, Lord God, meet me here. Yes, I know he lives within me by the power of the Spirit. Yes, I know that. Yes, I know that he'll never leave me or forsake me. But let me tell you something right now. Do you know what it's like to have him near you in that strange way that he works? You've got him inside you, but it's not yet still enough. I will never be satisfied until I awaken his likeness. I can't wait for him to come. Lord, come. And Lord, let me see more of you. Where are you moving? God, let me go. What are you going to do next? I want to be there, Lord. Do you have that? Is his presence more important than eating and sleeping? When you see his face, you will either say, go away from here, we know who you are. Or you will say, don't leave me, stay. It's awesome to know him. Please know him. And so he went preaching and blessing other cities. And he's going to go all the way north, all the way up. And people are going to hear. And they're going to fall in love with the heart of God. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that you would heal this church, starting with me. That you'd make it such a holy, precious place. And Lord... Uh, when we say holy, we mean holy like you are holy, attractive, amazing, where the, where the world says, I need this. Not holy like we paint the building black and we all dress in black and we all drink water and eat water. No, holy, alive. So that teenagers, young girls, young men, old men and old women, everybody in between would say, I want this of whom you preach. Give me this God. Pastor and Bible teacher, Jack Hibbs, here on Real Life Radio with his message called, When Jesus Comes Near. Thank you for spending time with us today. You know, When Jesus Comes Near is part of Pastor Jack's new series called The Gospel of Luke. It's a series on the book of Luke and the unveiling of Jesus Christ to this world. And we'll continue on the next edition of Real Life Radio. The Mayflower, a brave quest for freedom. And no one can tell the story of our nation's beginning better than New York Times bestselling author Nathaniel Philbrick. The book is called Mayflower, Voyage, Community, War. Vivid and remarkably fresh, 
Philbrick takes us on an extraordinary journey to understand the truth behind our most sacred myth as a nation, the voyage of the Mayflower and the settlement of Plymouth Colony. Plymouth Colony was a 50-year epic conflict that ended in peril and eventually war. So how did America really begin? See how Mayflower Voyage Community War by Nathaniel Philbrick captures the events that have shaped our existing communities and the country that would grow from them. Our book of the month, Mayflower Voyage Community War by Nathaniel Philbrick, is yours today for a gift of any amount. And it's available at our website, jackhibbs.com. That's jackhibbs.com. This program is made possible by the generous contributions of you, our listeners. Visit us at jackhibbs.com. That's jackhibbs.com. Until next time, Pastor Jack Hibbs and all of us here at Real Life Radio wish for you solid and steady growth in Christ and in His Word. We'll see you next time here on Real Life Radio.